My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Ingrid Waldron and Lauren Julian. One of the many ways that our lives, our communities, and our spaces are organized in colonial and racist ways is that, quite consistently across North America, environmentally hazardous land uses are more likely to be cited closer to and more densely around communities that are predominantly not white. Nova Scotia has relatively spatially distinct racialized communities compared to many other parts of the country, in particular long-standing African Nova Scotian communities and Mi'kmaq communities. And, tragically true to form, more sources of pollution have ended up being situated in and next to these communities than in and next to predominantly white spaces in the province. Ingrid Waldron is a sociologist who is a professor in the School of Nursing at Dalhousie University in Halifax. She's the lead researcher in the Environmental Noxiousness, Racial Inequities, and Community Health, or ENRICH, project. The ENRICH project aims to collect solid data about the health impacts of this inequitable distribution of hazards, and to build community awareness and community organizing capacity, as well as cross-community alliances, to respond to it. Lauren Julian is an artist, a member of Millbrook First Nation, and a community participant in the ENRICH project. They talk with me about environmental racism in Nova Scotia, about the affected communities, about the project, and about how they see their work fitting into broader efforts to challenge environmental racism in the province. I spoke with them by Skype to phone from Halifax and Skype from Millbrook First Nation, respectively. I'm Ingrid Waldron. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at Dalhousie, and I'm currently conducting a project through the school entitled Environmental Noxiousness, Racial Inequities, and Community Health Project. The acronym is ENRICH, and that project focuses on environmental racism in Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian communities. My name's Lauren Julian. I'm from Melbourne First Nation, and I'm a Mi'kmaq artist as well, and I heard about environmental racism through a friend, uh, Leah Renault, and I uh, attended an uh, information session a while back and wanted to participate in some way to bring more awareness to the issue. Environmental racism is the disproportionate location of toxic facilities, pollutants, contaminants, and other environmental hazards in racially marginalized and low-income communities compared to other communities. In Nova Scotia and in Canada and throughout the United States, studies have indicated that what we could call waste dumps or toxic waste facilities and other environmental hazards tend to be located mostly in these communities. And these communities often don't have much of a voice in terms of where these toxic sites are located. 
through my research and in meeting with community members last year and early this year in specific regions throughout Nova Scotia, I did notice that this tended to be the case and there has been some work done indicating including a mapping project that had been done before my study commenced, that this seems to be the case. With my project, we're trying to determine using evidence-based data as to whether or not this is the case, but also whether or not this has an impact on health. As a health researcher, my main concern is looking at the health effects of living in proximity to these sites. So it's really about getting the data producing a study and determining whether or not this is the case. In Nova Scotia, that kind of work has not really been done in either communities. Both communities are doing their own work. What my project does is brings together both communities, trying to engage them in the issue because they share similarities, and trying to build something cohesive, specifically around community organizing, to support communities around this particular issue. Lauren, why don't you tell me a little bit about your community? and also about your community's experiences of environmental racism. I'm located in uh, Millbrook First Nation, which is actually in the Turo town limits in uh, the hub of Nova Scotia. We have roughly a 1,000 people here living in Millbrook, and there used to be uh, a dump that was located on the top of Young Street, it's been moved since, but basically they just buried it. There's also a couple uh, small brooks or rivers that go through our community. And I know even on top of Young Street, it's not far from our community in Millbrook First Nation. And had there been things happening in the community before this project around that dump and around the environment in general? Or is this project the first time that the community is doing some work around this stuff? Yeah, I think it's fairly new. It's fairly new to me having this awareness. And I think it's generally a lot of people in the community don't realize it or are unaware of it. So in terms of the initial stages of the project, talk a bit more about the decision to take it on and sort of the first steps you took once you decided, yes, this is an issue that we need some better research on in Nova Scotia. The project began in the spring of 2012. There had been, at that point, a lot of community organizing around the issue of environmental racism in both communities, the Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian communities, for some time. I was introduced to this project by individuals who had been active around the issue for quite a few years and wanted to determine whether or not a research study could support community organizing efforts. So the project began in the spring of 2012. We built a team of diverse stakeholders. And since then, we have been engaging community members in the project by you know, meeting with them, holding workshops, holding events, and basically trying to get a sense of their main concerns and their main priorities around environmental injustice or racism in their communities. During the workshops, we were able to get a sense of what our research objectives and questions should be 
what data collection methods we should be using. That's the reason why we met with community members. We wanted to hear from them about how should we approach this research project? What do you think we should focus on? What do you think our research objectives and questions should be? So that information coming straight from community members was incorporated into our research project, has been incorporated into grants that we've put in. And when we do receive a grant, the project will unfold, hopefully, in a way that reflects community needs and priorities. The communities that the project looks at specifically are the Mi'kmaq communities in Member 2, Eskasoni, Yarmouth, the HRM. And uh, just a, an interruption for the benefit of listeners outside of Nova Scotia, the HRM is the Halifax Regional Municipality. The HRM, so that would include Millbrook, Hammonds Plains, etc. African Nova Scotian communities in Lincolnville, North Preston, East Preston, and the HRM and surrounding regions. The community members in Lincolnville have been organizing around this particular issue for decades. And many of the things they've been involved in include meeting with government, letter writing, campaigns. They've engaged students and others at Dalhousie and other universities in the issue. So a lot of it has involved meeting with, communicating with, or trying to, and writing letters to government to engage them in the issue and to get a response around some of their concerns. And what I've got from them is that has been particularly challenging. And they haven't given up, which I find is interesting, but there is a sense of frustration. A project like the one I'm conducting has not been done, so that obviously is a missing piece. The communities in Yarmouth, Member 2 and Eskasoni, I don't think there has been anything as broad as what this research study is doing in terms of engaging communities in the issue, connecting with government. I think this is the first time that what we're doing as a team has been done in those communities. And certainly bringing all the communities together, regardless of the differences, so both the Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian communities, I think is also powerful because there's power in numbers, obviously. One of the things that I noticed when I met with the communities is that they were a bit surprised that other community members were dealing with the same issue. You know, so if I, when I spoke with community members in Member 2, they were really surprised that community members in Lincolnville, the African Nova Scotian community in Lincolnville, were struggling with the same issue. So I think the most powerful thing about this project is the fact that we're trying to unite two communities, the Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian communities, who share many similarities, have many differences, but trying to transcend those differences to create that unity so that they can support one another and engage in community organizing together, which is a strength. And moving forward, I think that's the most important part of this project. One of the reasons to take it on was connected to what Lauren just mentioned, lack of awareness. I think a lot of people take it for granted. When you're living in the community and you are going about your life, you're not necessarily thinking about how the dump down the street or the facility close to your community is impacting you. So I think one of the reasons to take it on was to create awareness in the affected communities, but also in the general public, but also bringing it, more importantly, to the attention of government and policymakers, which is another aspect of our project. The decision to take it on for me had a lot to do with the fact that my focus has always been on racism and marginalization of certain groups in our community and also health and how that impacts people's health and well-being and the psychological impact of injustice. 
So it was an easy decision for me to take it on. Before I started the project, it wasn't something that I had focused on in my work. And as I proceeded on with the project, I recognized how important it was, how it had impacted communities, but also the kind of sense of hopelessness that people have, primarily because they don't have much of a voice. There's a frustration in many of the communities that they've brought this to the attention of government, and there's a feeling that they've been ignored. And in many of the communities that I met with, this is something they've been dealing with for decades. And this feeling that they haven't been heard has been particularly frustrating for them. So what we tried to do in the initial stages of the project was to build a multi-stakeholder team. And that team is comprised of interested faculty, is comprised of health professionals, activists, community leaders, some government, and students. So we've built a really strong team to look at the issue in multiple ways meeting with community members as we have done throughout 2013 and in early 2014 was extremely important because this is a participatory action research project. It's a community-based participatory action research project that requires community members to be involved throughout the process, not at the end of the process, but throughout the process, providing us as a team with guidance about some of the issues and objectives that we should be looking at. Most of our activities has been about engaging community members in the topic. And, you know, it has been challenging because the awareness, as Lauren mentioned, has not been there. But also, as I mentioned before, the ongoing frustrations of not being heard has played a significant role in why it's been challenging to get people on board with this project, community members. Part of the engagement has involved government. Uh, throughout this year, I have met with government departments and agencies to provide them with research findings, to get a sense of how they would like to support communities, and also to clarify issues around jurisdiction and regulations and monitoring around some of these sites. So there has been a lack of clarity around who is responsible for regulating and monitoring various facilities and who's responsible for issues around remediation of some of those facilities. So that's actually been a really tough task, is trying to determine who's responsible for what, so that I can bring that information back to community members who need that knowledge because they need to know who's responsible for a particular site so they can actually approach a particular department or agency to do something about that particular site. So this work, engaging community, engaging policymakers, has been important, but our main goal is to, as I mentioned earlier, conduct a research study so that we have evidence. I mean, that's the most important thing. You have to have evidence in order to bring that back to government. So that's where we're at right now. We will continue to do the community engagement piece, but conducting the research is just as important. Even in discussing the issues with community members here in Nova Scotia, we do have findings that have been documented in the uh, workshop report that my project produced. The main concerns, which are similar to concerns in the U.S. and in other parts of Canada, are around illness and disease, specifically in terms of the research and in terms of the meetings I held with community members, cancer, higher rates of cancer they believe in their communities, including rare forms of cancer. Community members also talked about asthma, high rates of asthma. They also talked about cardiovascular issues. They talked about learning disabilities such as autism. And I also noticed that psychological distress is also a health impact of living close to these sites. 
it's a stressor living close to these sites. And that's something that really came through during my meetings with community members, concerns about water contamination, concerns about what they're drinking and uh, toxic soils and, you know, concerns that their children are playing in contaminated waste and soil. So there were a lot of concerns and anxieties around that, but also certainly more serious issues like cancer in their communities and cancer in their family, high rates of cancer in their family. So these are some of the issues that we're trying to determine through our research study. And Lauren, as you've learned about these issues and as you've talked about them with other people in your community, tell me about those conversations. A lot of our communities, a lot of health issues regarding diabetes, cancer, and just overall health issues. When I talk to some people, they, they're just not aware of it. I know there's communities like Eskasoni where they had dumps in different areas, and now they're building on top of them. I know down in Yarmouth, most of that area, First Nation community in Acadia is basically built on top of a dump. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we're just facing different issues all the time. I mean, regarding frack, and then there's this other issue with Alton natural gas, and it seems like we're always dealing with something. So I think at times it just gets overwhelming, too, thinking about all these different issues. There seems to be some interest there, but like I said, we're dealing with a lot of other issues, too, as far as uh, environment goes. And then talking about policies, we're on federal land, but yet we're dealing with provincial government, federal government, the municipality, and everybody doesn't want to take responsibility for uh, each area. So it's almost like ignoring the responsibility, dealing with uh, different levels of government. You know, when you go into these communities, they're dealing with so many issues that it's almost like a luxury to have to deal with environmental racism because there are so many other priority issues that people are dealing with around housing or jobs or unemployment or food insecurity that it's almost a luxury to also have to deal with this. This is something else on top of everything else that they're dealing with. And since the completion of the workshop phase, what has the next step been for the project? Since the workshops concluded, I've been meeting with government to present the findings from the workshops to get a sense of how they can support community members. But I've also been engaging students, Dalhousie students and students from St. Mary's University in the project, so building their skills, connecting them with community members, and involving them in community engagement. We are also trying to engage youth in the project through an art-based project that's just launched. What we're doing is we're trying to reach out to Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian youth, trying to get them engaged in the process to mobilize other youth by creating different forms of art, whether it be photography or graphic art or comic books or short stories or painting or music getting them to submit artistic work to our team, and that artistic work would express or communicate issues around environmental injustice in their communities, and then use that as a platform to engage other youth in their communities in a discussion around the issues 
and to mobilize community members around that particular issue. So that's a really interesting project that we're now launching as part of the project. It's a creative project, but the goal is the same as it has been throughout the project. It's about community engagement. It's about creating awareness. And once again, it's participatory action research because it's facilitating a process whereby youth are able to articulate the issue from their perspective through art and then connect with other youth in their communities around this process and to create that awareness. I will soon produce a report on the meetings I've held with government since spring. We are continuing to submit funding applications to fund the study on this particular topic, and we will continue to engage communities and engage ourselves in small projects that hopefully will create more awareness. So the project for me is just beginning. In terms of how it's unfolded, I think it could go anywhere. We want to continue to use social media as a way to communicate information about environmental justice and communicate information about our study. We're always open with respect to how we can use diverse platforms and particularly social media and traditional media to get the message out. Any innovative method that we can use to reach people in different ways because we recognize that people need to be communicated in very different ways. This issue will reach young people in a very different way than it will reach adults. So investigating multiple ways in which to connect with people is an ongoing part of the project. Tell me about the kinds of interactions and the kinds of responses you've been getting from government, particularly given what you talked about earlier, the long history of governments not being responsive. I have to say that the meetings have been going well. But I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, it has been challenging because I, I don't get a sense as yet that there's a, accountability for where or why some of these sites have been placed in these particular regions. So while the consultations with government have been going well and people have been very open to meeting with me, I certainly have to say that, I think a lot of work still needs to be done. I think one of the most important things that have come out of the meetings with government is that a lot of issues have been clarified for me, issues that have been confusing for community members, such as who's responsible for that waste dump. So in terms of getting clarification, that's really been positive because I think that's actually really important because we need to have that background information in order to proceed with the project. I still think there needs to be a level of accountability by government, which I have yet to see. So that's going to be an ongoing project, I can tell. Hopefully, once I produce the report and we continue to engage communities and hopefully mobilize them around this issue, we will be taken more seriously. But I think that's a long-term strategy. What kinds of broader changes do you hope that this project and this research can feed into and form and, and be one part of? In terms of what the research team would like to see would be involvement in a larger network of individuals who are involved in this particular issue. So connecting the Enrich Project to a national network of stakeholders, faculty, health professionals, environmental activists, etc., who are involved in this issue in Canada is something that we're interested in seeing in the future and also connecting it to perhaps a more international movement around this issue. So I think it's really right now it's just baby steps, but that's how we see this project unfolding. I think using photo voice 
and social media, of course, facilitates that process because it connects everyone around the world. So that's the next stage of the process, as well as, of course, I would say one of the most important stages would be to have funded research where we can get evidence-based data connecting health, if possible, to close proximity to these waste dumps. And Lauren, what kinds of changes would you like to see in your community? Does your community need that you think might be helped by this project? Well, I think it would be nice to uh, see more awareness made naturally, but also if there is any contamination or uh, hazardous waste in the area that they actually do something to remedy it and clean it up. Because I know a lot of African, Nova Scotian, and Mi'kmaq people, over the years, we were basically pushed out of nice areas of the province into basically wastelands. Yeah, so I like to see uh, studies done, and if there is hazardous things in the environment, then it should be cleaned up. What things do you see coming up as part of the project in the next six months or a year that you're most excited about? Wow. Well, what Lauren just mentioned is actually important. I didn't mention that. Yes, I think the ultimate goal for our project is about getting these sites cleaned up. What I'm hoping will happen in the next six months or a year is that there's some accountability by government related to the topics that we're bringing to the fore. So remediation or just recognizing that this is an issue and taking some kind of accountability for the issue on the part of government is crucial. It's a really big project. So once again, it's the research study for me. I think in the next year, I mean, we have to pace ourselves. I think in the next year, it's everything that we've been doing, but hopefully in a much more impactful way, community engagement, a funded study, more accountability by government, engaging youth in the project creating awareness in the general public, and getting allies to support Mi'kmaq and African Nova Scotian community members in this particular issue. And what about you, Lauren? What are you looking forward to in the project in the next while? I do mostly a lot of native abstract type art, mostly acrylic on canvas. I'm also self-taught. I've basically been doing art my whole life ever since I was a child. And I've been uh, working at my artwork now full time for over four years now. And uh, if I can participate and help in any way with my art as far as bringing awareness, I'm on board with that. That's what I want to do anyway, is if I can help in that way, that's what I'll do. You have been listening to my interview with Ingrid Waldron and Lauren Julian about the Enrich Project and its work to understand and challenge environmental racism in Nova Scotia. To learn more about the project, go to enrichproject.org. That's all one word, enrichproject.org. In addition, to check out Julian's art, you can go to warrioronthehill.com. That's warrioronthehill.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Filled.